I was thinking there'd be one way for me to definitely preach short is if I had to do it while riding a bike. <laughs> That's like a 35-second sermon this week. Um, it's good. I just need my pallet lights on, please. they wonderful people. It's just, I just can't. It's, it's, it's not feeling right. It's the vibe, the atmosphere. G'day. How are you? That's good. Uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't done this for a while. So I've been saving up. Uh, I really know. We've, I, I, I've prepared short, and, uh, and so we'll see how we go. But look how much time I've got. Like 44 minutes, 54 minutes, 53 minutes. They're changing the time manually. But, oh, no, no. <clears throat> Uh, but my sermon title uh, today is the, uh, the End of Discipleship. Hooray. That's it. That's the end. Uh, this is a bit of clickbait for you. Get people interested on YouTube. Um, but we've been talking a lot about uh, what it means to, to be disciples of Jesus, to be followers of Him, apprentices of Him. Um, but I think it's always important whenever you uh, set out to accomplish something, if it's a big task, which the reality is following Jesus is a that's a big task. That's a lifelong task. That's a lifelong journey that you're choosing to participate in. And it's always important, I think, that we look at the end, which is really the end goal of discipleship, and say, what's, where are we actually aiming to take this thing? Otherwise, potentially, upon, you know, along the journey that we're on with God, we can have really good intentions and do really good things, but ultimately we're missing the end game, the end goal of, of what we're actually doing here uh, with being a disciple of Jesus. So if we would ask, well, what is the, what's the end game, the end goal of discipleship? Is it salvation? Is the point of following Jesus and being a disciple of Jesus that one day hopefully I'll be saved? Well, I think what we read in the Bible is, well, no, like you, you get saved by God, you, you get born again, then you're, and you're invited into this discipleship relationship with God. So to follow Jesus doesn't make you saved, it doesn't make you a, a Christian, that happens by God. So we know all well, the end goal then of discipleship is not salvation. Is it that I would then become righteous in God's sight? Maybe that's the point then, if I, if I just follow Jesus and I try and be more like Him and I'm transformed more into His likeness, then I might, at the end of my life, stand before God and He'll go, you know what, I've added up all of your good works, all of your righteous deeds, and you've done enough, you can come in to, my, to eternal rest with me. Well, again, we read in the Bible, no, that's not the point of it. That's not the point of pursuing righteousness, isn't that we might be seen to be righteous in God's sight, but we've, we have received the righteousness of God. We've received Jesus' righteousness. It's called imputed righteousness. So Jesus' righteousness, how, His right standing before God has been given to us as a gift. So in the same way that Jesus stands in right relationship with God, when we are in Christ, when we become a Christian, we stand in that same position with God. So obviously being a disciple of Jesus means that we are pursuing becoming more like Him. We are becoming Christ-like, which is a phenomenal idea that we could become like Jesus. But that is the work that God is doing in us. He is transforming us more and more into the likeness of Jesus. That was the whole concept of discipleship. 
is that you would follow someone and you would emulate them in every way, in their mannerisms, in what they would teach, in how they would live. You as a disciple of that person would do everything the same as them. So when Jesus says, come and follow me, come and be my disciple, which is the invitation He gives to every single one of us, our life then is focused on becoming more like Him. It was actually in a conversation I was having with Peter Christensen, who's speaking next week. Um, but he, he said this phrase, he said, the end goal of discipleship is sonship. I thought, wow, that's profound. And that's really good. Um, because if I know what the end goal is, then it's gonna keep me on track as I'm pursuing Jesus. Otherwise, I might be striving towards something or I might be positioning myself in an understanding of what the point of this whole thing is. And if it's just to be like Jesus, that's a great goal. To become more like Jesus at the end of your life, that's a really great goal to pursue because He is worthy of emulating. He's someone, if you say you wanna look up to someone, Jesus is a really good person to look up to. He's a really amazing example of what it is to, to live in this world and to live that life. But if we understand that the end goal of discipleship is actually to come into relationship, a father-son relationship with God. So it's not just that we would be like the son, the son being Christ, so Christ-likeness. It's not that we would be son-like, but it's that we would experience the same relationship with the father that the son does that sonship, that we would enter into the same kind of relationship that Jesus experienced with His Father, His heavenly Father, our heavenly Father. So the point then isn't just to, at the end of my life, to be able to stand before God and look, I, I look more like Jesus than I did 10 years ago, 20 years ago, when I was, before I was a Christian, I look more like Jesus. But actually, because I've done a journey of looking more and more like Jesus, I've been able to relate more and more to the Father like a son would relate to the Father because I'm more and more like His perfect Son. So as Jesus is the perfect example of sonship, the more we become like Him, the more we get to enter into that perfect relationship with Jesus, with God, the Father. Is that making sense? Lots of quietness. It's okay to make noise, to say amen. Throw a tomato if you disagree. No, tomatoes are expensive these days. Avocados, they're cheap. <laughs> Dollar an avocado. Man, hipsters gone crazy, like smashed avo all over the place. I have smashed avocado on toast every morning. How crazy is that? I'm living it up. I am, yeah, must be. <sighs> Shouldn't have shaved my beard off. John chapter 17, verse 20. This is Jesus praying. And He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in Me through their words. So again, as He's addressing His disciples who were there before Him, as He's praying to the Father, He's like, I'm not just asking and praying all of these things for this group of disciples here, but also all those who will become disciples through the message that will be carried on through them. So guess what, that's us. So when it says, those who will believe in me through their word, he's talking about us. And it says that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, 
so that the world may believe that you sent me. So Jesus is saying in the same way that you and I are one Father, our relationship is so close, so in sync, you can't even separate the two of us. My prayer, Father, is that their relationship with you would be the same. When Jesus talks about, I only do what I see the Father doing, it means He's so in sync with the Father, He's looking around and He's seeing exactly what the Father's doing and He's just participating in what the Father's doing. He's not searching out, He's not trying to figure it out. He's not praying, He's just in, in that space with God, so in sync with the Father, in oneness with the Father, that He's naturally living out the things that the Father would desire. And it says, the glory that you have given me I have given to them. So when we see the word glory, it means lots of things, but I love the explanation of the glory of God being all the divine attributes of God's nature. So all of the amazingness of God, all of the divine, the godly aspects of who He is in His nature. When God manifests His glory, it's like he's, he's just manifesting Himself. But it's becoming real, it's becoming expressed. It's, it's visible, tangible, experiential. Not just with your eyes, but in everything that goes on. So, and He's saying the glory that I've given to Jesus, so all of the divine attributes of my nature that I've put into my Son. And that's why Jesus can say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father because I'm just like Him. I am the exact imprint of the Father's nature. So we see when Jesus was filled with the glory, but He says that same glory that you've given to me, I have given to them. So in the same way, Father, you have imprinted yourself on me, I am now imprinting myself upon them. And they are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Does that mean we start glowing or, you know, fairy dust starts sparkling out of us or something like that? I mean, that can happen. It has happened to me. Not the sparkly fairy dust. My, my countenance has changed. I had an encounter with God and literally people looked at me and I looked different. Um, so it does happen in that way. But again, when we think about moving from one degree of glory to another, what does it mean? One degree of experiencing and living and manifesting these divine attributes of the nature of God to another degree of manifesting, blah, 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 the divine attributes of the, na the nature of God. You know what I'm saying? Every, the essence of who God is, Jesus saying, what you've given to me now, I'm giving to my disciples. And the reason for that is that they may be one, even as we are one so that we would share the same oneness with God that Jesus does. Verse 23 says, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that. So then what's the point of even oneness? There's this next kind of step, there's this expression, this ongoing reality that comes out of that, is that so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even though even so, even as, even if, even why, even when, even how, even as you have loved me. Wow, 
So Jesus praying to the Father, Lord, in that same way that we are one, my prayer is that they would become one. In all of the ways that You've poured Your nature into me and we've become one, we've become the same. My prayer is that they too would become the same as me. That they would be in that intimate son, father relationship that I share with you. That they would come into this reality of sonship. But it means again, where these divine attributes of God's nature, they're deposited in us, but God's desire is that they would be manifest through us, they'd come to be seen. And that's the journey that we're on as disciples. It's allowing that conforming and transforming process that God has us on. It's allowing Him to change us more into His likeness. You know, it's like when a seed being planted, it has to grow and expand and come to fullness and fruition. But I don't know if you've seen those pictures where uh, like a plant that's grown up through the crack of a piece of concrete or even the root system of a tree. I mean, you can cut through the root of a tree with a sharp piece of metal and yet that same root can crack open massive thick chunks of concrete that you could never break through with an axe. But that's part of that process. It's like letting the seed of God grow in us to start to overwhelm and deal with the parts of us that actually don't reflect the divine attributes of God's nature, that don't reflect His glory. So what then is this sonship relationship? I think again, as those verses say, the first part is it's oneness. It's us and God being the same. Like that's the journey that you're on. I've said it before, and it's hard to, to even say sometimes, it seems so profound and amazing, but God's desire is that you would become like Him. Now we can never be God, but we can absolutely be like God. And if God calls you to do it, it must mean that it's attainable. Not attainable by our strength, by our efforts, but attainable by God's. So in the same way that Jesus was the exact imprint of the Father's nature, we too get to then be representatives. We represent Jesus to the world. Do you know that's what God has called you to do? As Jesus presented the Father to the world, as a disciple of Jesus, now we present the Father to the world. Is that a big calling? You wanna know the calling of your life? It's like, I'm just wrestling, what's the destiny? What's God's will for my life? is that you would present the Father to the world. That's a big call, but it's God's heart and desire for you. You know, sonship is God's way of relating to humanity. We, we use the word all the time, we talk about it. You know, it's the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's just such a normal language for Christians to talk about God being a Father. But before Jesus presented God as the Father, it wasn't normal even in Judaism for God to be presented in that way. So even for Jesus to come and say, I'm the Son of God, you know, and God is my Father and to present God as a Father, that in itself was a challenge to people's perspective of who God was. Because they understood, well, the Father, that's intimate language. That's like close language, that's relatable language. That's not far away, distant, big creator God. That's really close, intimate, touchy, feely, connecty God. 
But that's who God is. And so even that word sometimes, I feel like it just loses its potency. Now we can lose its potency if we have a bad representation of a father in our life in the natural. So that's one journey of healing. But I think it can also lose its potency when we become so familiar with that language of God being a father that we lose sight of the reality that this is the creator of the universe that would call himself father, that would call me a son and would relate to me in that way. But I know even for me, being a father of sons, I know what it is to be in that relationship. And I know as an imperfect, a very imperfect father, the love that I have for my children. So then I have to take that and multiply it by infinity and then multiply it again. You know, like it's just this unending, how much more perfect is God as a father compared to me? And yet that's how He loves me. So it's intimate access. We've been invited into intimate access with God as sons to a father. So as I said before, it's how we relate, but it's also what we reflect to the world. Do we present the Father in that way to to people? I think if you were to ask the world, what do Christians most often represent to the world? It's probably not that God is good and He's a good loving Father and He wants to be an intimate, life-giving relationship with you. I think we work sometimes so much in our own lives trying to remove these, these frameworks of, of condemnation and judgment and, and negativity of our own relationship with Jesus. And yet then we can end up reflecting all of those things to the world. Now, God is a righteous judge. He is holy and pure and blameless. He is all of those things, but He has chosen to relate in a way that actually doesn't make sense with His nature. We can ask the question, and I think it's absolutely a valid question, is is why would a good God allow bad things to happen? We could equally say, why would such a good, pure, holy, righteous God have anything to do with humanity, full stop? Because we are so undeserving. We are to the degree of ill-deserving. We deserve the absolute opposite of what God gives us. And yet He chooses to relate to us Again, not just, well, I'll have mercy upon you. No, I'll treat you like my own child and love you in that kind of way. Sonship is about our identity. Our identity is tied to whose we are. Whose we are determines who we are. Who we belong to, the family that we're part of, that starts to shape our identity. And we know that that's that Christ likeness, but sonship is part of your identity. I'm in in God's family and He calls me a son. He calls me a daughter. Now I will say, as I've said many times, when we hear this language sonship, this is male and female, but it's, they use the word sonship because in the time that the Bible was written, um, they understood a paternal kind of relationship and a son would take the name of their father. And that son then would represent the father's name. In the same way, when we pray in the name of Jesus, that's not a magical word, a magical phrase that we chuck on at the end to make sure it gets answered. I prayed in the name of Jesus. Now, when we pray in the name of Jesus, that means I'm praying in the nature of Jesus because the name is connected to the nature. It's connected to relationship. 
So I'm praying as one who's intimately connected to Jesus. I'm praying as one who represents the Father on earth. So when we pray in the Name of Jesus, we don't need to say in the Name of Jesus because hopefully all of our prayer has been representing the very nature of Jesus, which is the very nature of the Father. Sonship speaks of our belonging, our belonging to the Father, our belonging to His Kingdom family. It speaks of lineage. It speaks of a history that is is before us and a history that is to come that we are going to lay before us. And it speaks of our inheritance. Jesus says that we would be co-heirs with Him, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So everything that Jesus purchased is ours through that inheritance that we receive because we are part of the family of God. Have I touched on any good news yet? Yeah. Am I speaking? I know it's, you know, it's hard. Oh, Brad, what a hard word. So how do we become a son? How do we enter into this relationship of sonship with God? Well, obviously it's not up to us. We can't do it. We can't make it happen. It's certainly not by our own efforts or our own works. To enter into a family, you are you're born into a family or you're adopted into a family. And guess what, you've, both has happened. If you're a Christian, both of those things have happened. Because the Bible says that you've been born again into God's family and you've also been adopted into His family. So all bases are covered. So if you're not sure about if you're born again, you're being adopted. And if you're not sure if you're adopted, you've been born again, you know, like God's just covering all bases here to know that you're in but we are born into sonship. But then we need to be conformed and transformed to live out that expression of sonship. In the same way that one person can receive salvation from God, the Holy Spirit can come and bang, you have received the Spirit, the Spirit has come and is dwelling in you now, you've been born again. But that doesn't mean that every part of a person's life is just radically transformed and they look perfectly like Jesus. If only, <laughs> if only. But it's a work then, it's a work of being conformed and transformed into His likeness. Uh, Romans 8.29 says, those that God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Those whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. So this word conformed is somorphous. So it's having the same form as another. So ultimately this end game is that we would have the same form as Jesus. We would be conformed to His likeness. But we also have in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to the world. So it's saying don't be the same as the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So this word transformed is metamorpho, which means to change into another form, to transform, to transfigure. So we know that part of us is being shifted and moved. We have been conformed. We have a new shape when we are born again. 
but then we're also being transformed. So parts of us are immediately at that moment of salvation are conformed to the likeness of God. But then the rest of us needs to be transformed into the likeness of God. So one part is instantaneous. And now again, it's, it's complex and I don't know if we can land anywhere really concisely in the Scriptures, but I would look at that like our, we are spirit, soul and body, but our spirit is conformed to the image of God, to the image of Christ. And yet we have a soul and a body and a mind and a heart and these other aspects of who we are and those things need to be transformed. But it's important that we understand, particularly from this verse, Romans 12 two, be transformed by the renewal of your spirit, by the renewal of your heart, by the renewal of your body, no, it's by the renewal of your mind. And this is important now, God transforms our heart. He does change all of those aspects of who we are. But the Apostle Paul is speaking particularly of the mind here because right thinking impacts how we think about God. Right thinking impacts how we see God, how we relate to God and how we live for God. If you think the wrong things about who He is or how He relates to you, you're going to approach Him in the wrong way. When I say wrong, maybe the, the less beneficial way. You're going to live a life for Him in a way that's not in freedom and life and fruitfulness. It could be in pressure and performance and condemnation and fear. Have you ever met a Christian who lives in fear? <laughs> Have you ever met a Christian who lives in condemnation or in you know, guilt and shame constantly because they're not living up to this mark that they feel like God has for them? We're all putting our hands up on the inside, I know. Yes, me. Because we can view the Father as, as a judge, we can view the Father as a, as a dictator, we can view the Father as, maybe we can view the Father as being absent even and not even that interested in my life. One day I might meet Him, I might see Him at a distance in heaven one day and be like, hi God, I, that, yep, yeah. I'll, I'll catch you later. Yeah, when you got time, come and see me, you know. God might be distant or maybe the closeness of God feels like a pressure and a weight. But it's so important to enter into sonship that we have a right understanding of who God is and we are camping around the right ideas of who God is. We need to position ourselves rightly before the Lord. We need to camp around a right understanding of who we are, of whose we are and the Father's intent towards us. So we need to make sure that we're positioned there and we don't leave from that place. So again, I could speak to you for half an hour and then you've, oh, I come back to this place and I receive some prayer and I enter into this position, this dwelling place, this camp with God of right understanding. Okay, yes, you're good. You're a good father. You love me. You've called me a son. Okay, yes, you're good. And then 
Monday morning, I wake up and I'm starting to kind of wander away from that camp. I'm wandering away from that dwelling place and coming back into God is absent or, but there's this pressure or, but there's this relationship you don't understand. But if I don't do this, God, I'm not gonna be provided for or I've stumbled again in this area of sin or I have this longing and this, I'm caught in this idolatry, whatever it might be. And we start to move away from where we were encamped with God and we start to then form these different ideas about God. Well, I know when I'm with God in that place, He's good, but when I'm over in this place on my own, He's, he's not so good to me. When I'm in this place of worship with God, the fear lifts off, but then I leave that place and I go to another place and all of that fear comes back again. The Father's desire is for oneness with us. He has gone to the degree of sending His Son to die on a cross for us that we might enter into that relationship. And that's the thing where the cross is so significant because it, what it displays is not just the cost of our sin, but the length that God is willing to go to have you. The price that He is willing to pay to have you. Not just to save you, like, well, you're going over a cliff, I'll make sure I, I stop you just before you, you tumble over and then I'll set you back on the cliff edge and let you go about your way. No, no, God has, has made a way that you might come into oneness with Him, not just to be saved from death, but to enter into abundance of life with Him. The cross loses its power if one day we are waiting to receive the effects of the cross when we die, that hopefully we don't receive eternal punishment. When we understand that what the cross represents is the Father is willing to go to such a degree to have deep, intimate fellowship and relationship with you. That's the price that He paid. That's the arms of a Father stretched out wide. I know you've heard that saying, you know, how much does God love you? And we look at Jesus on the cross, His arms, I love you this much. The Father's desire is to be in oneness with us. The pursuit of righteousness in discipleship is to enable us to rightly relate to the Father. So, so why do I need to deal with sin if Jesus already dealt with my sin? Well, because sin becomes a barrier to oneness. Okay, well, that makes sense then. If, if I'm not just of trying to not be a sinful person, because I don't wanna to go to hell one day. And then I realise, well, he's paid the price for that. So then what's the point of it? Well, the point is because when we live in sin, it creates a barrier for fellowship with God because we're putting other things in that place of significance. We're putting other things in the place of God. That's idolatry. And we say, well, I wanna love you, Father, but I love this thing a little bit more. I want You to provide for me, Father, but I'm finding all of my provision in this place. I want You to comfort me, Holy Spirit, and yet I keep seeking out all of my comfort in this other place. So I can never enter into that kind of relationship with God because I've filled all of those relational voids with worldly things. So God's like, if you pursue righteousness and you become more transformed into my likeness, you're naturally going to find me in all of those places of need. There will no longer be any voids in your life because I've filled every one of those voids. So sometimes we can feel like God is distant, but it's because we've pushed Him out and we've closed the door and we've filled our lives with everything but Him. Which is just the natural consequence of our choices and decisions. But there He is standing at the door, knocking, waiting to be invited in.
So when we pursue righteousness, we remove barriers to sonship. But I wanna ask you today, do you know the Father's desire for you? Do you camp in this place of, I'm just, I, I live every day seated in this reality and this understanding is that God loves me and He is for me and He delights in me and He just wants to be close to me. Is that your dwelling place? When you wake up in the morning, is that your first thought about the Father? When you go to sleep at night, is that your last thought about the Father? Is He's pleased with me. And I know I haven't done all of the things that I could have done for Him today, and yet He's pleased with me. And I know I did things today that I just know I should have done. I knew before I did it, I knew while I was doing it, and I certainly knew afterwards that I shouldn't have done that. And yet somehow still this good, perfect God finds delight in me. And I can take all of that junk, all of that mess, all of that brokenness, and I can bring it before Him. I love that verse in Hebrews where it says, come boldly before the throne of grace that you might receive grace and mercy in your time of need. But how often do we think of it like, I'm just, I'm too dirty to go into the throne room today. I've just, I, I know I'm not even gonna get past the threshold of the door. I'm just too, too messy. I can't go into that place. Man, I need to find some grace and mercy out here in this wilderness place. I need to find this so that I can clean myself up so that I can go into the throne room to be with God. And that's not what the Scriptures say. No, no, all the grace and mercy that you need is in the throne room. And the door hasn't been closed because of your choices. The good ones, the bad ones, whatever. You haven't widen the doorway, you haven't increased the access, that door is always open, the Father's lap is always ready for you to climb up on and it's in that place that you find what you need. It's in that place where you receive what you need to then go and live the life that He wants for you and ultimately we all want for ourselves as well. I'm wondering if you wanna pray with me today just for maybe that we need to shift our campground. We need to shift where we've been dwelling in our understanding of who God is and to move from this place of expectation or condemnation or whatever it might be and actually pack up and move and pitch our tent in a new place that we'd find a new place to dwell, a new place to camp. Because again, we can't come in every other Sunday and come back to that place and then leave again. God wants you to dwell in this reality. He wants you to be transformed in your thinking that you're always thinking rightly about Him. And when you're always thinking rightly, it's like when something else enters the camp, you know that doesn't belong here. I'm feeling condemned, but I know that's not the Father. So I know that doesn't belong here. So I can command it to go. Why don't you stand if you wanna be prayed for, even if you don't, you're welcome to stand. But even just some questions, you know, have you, been, have you been camping in what you have done or have you been dwelling in what He has done? Have you been spending more time dwelling in who you are or in who He is?
Have you been spending your time maybe dwelling in expectation? Expectation to do the right thing all of the time rather than in invitation to come and walk in the ways that would please Him and would benefit you. Have you been abiding more in condemnation rather than abiding in His affirmation? Because the reality is we all make poor choices. We all do the wrong thing or fail to do the right thing. Yet even as Jesus, before He did any earthly ministry, He came up out of the waters of baptism and the Father's voice was heard to say, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. And the Father says those same words over you today. You are my child and I'm well pleased with you. But you say, God, I haven't done all of these things. And the Father's answer is, that's not why I call you my child. Maybe you've been dwelling in your lack rather than resting in His abundance. Maybe you've been dwelling in your weakness rather than leaning into His strength. And even again, as the Apostle Paul says, I I acknowledge, I boast in my weakness so that in order that God's strength might be revealed. So Paul knew his weakness and he acknowledged it, but he didn't live limited by His weakness because He knew that in that place, God would come through in His strength. I wonder maybe where you've been dwelling in an understanding that you're not enough rather than in the place where God is more than sufficient. He is more than able. Maybe you've been dwelling and camping around where you have failed rather than dwelling and camping around where the Lord is victorious and will be victorious. Even in all of those areas where you have failed, God is a God of redemption. And He can use all of those things for His glory and your good. Have you been dwelling in a place maybe where your eyes have been fixed on you rather than your eyes being fixed on Him. But I just believe the Lord is is inviting us to pack up camp in those old places, to leave behind the old places and to set up camp in the new place, in that place of truth, in that place of right understanding, in that place of right relationship. that we need not strive to become sons because we have been called sons and daughters, but that we would strive to live out that reality that has already been purchased for us. It has already been provided to us. But Father, we pray that You would help us to understand what Your desire is for us every single day, Lord. You are patient, You are kind, You're long-suffering with us, Lord. You don't hold wrongs against us, Father. Every word that we read from 1 Corinthians 13, Lord, that's who You are, because You are love, You are kindness, You are gentleness. And Father, would You help us and show us and enable us by Your grace to camp in the place of truth, Lord.
Even right now, Lord, we uproot, God, those 10 pegs, Father. We pack up the camp where we've been living in lies, where we've been living in under condemnation, where we've been living under expectation, Father, where we've been living under failure, Lord. We've been living under I'm not enough. We've been living under lack, living under shame, God. And our eyes have been fixed on those things, Father. And we pack up that camp, Lord, and we move, Father. And we just pray, Lord, help us to set up camp around Your truths, Lord, that You invite us into relationship, Father, that You are for us. And if You are for us, who could be against us, Lord? Our sin can't be against us, Father. The devil can't be against us. Nothing can be against us, Lord, because You are for us, Jesus. And we take all of our weakness and we present it to You. And we thank You, Lord, that You make us strong in those areas, Lord that even where sin abounds, Your grace abounds even more so, Lord. So we bring before You, Father, we pack up all of our sin, Lord, and we set up camp before You in that place of righteousness and truth, Father. And we receive Your righteousness, Lord. We receive Your grace, Father. We set up camp in the throne room, Lord, where we have access, Father, 24-7 to grace and mercy that we need, Lord, that we need, God. And Father, we repent of all of those ways, Lord, all of those old thinking ways, Lord, all of the stinking thinking, Lord. We repent, Father. Father, where we've been tempted to believe those things, Lord. Or even, Father, where we've acknowledged, oh no, but I do sin and, and I do lack and I, and, I am, and I am weak, Lord. But we've set our eyes upon those things, Lord. Father, we want to set our eyes upon You and says, Lord, even though I'm weak, You are strong. Father, even though I lack, You are abundant, God. Even though I'm not enough, You are more than enough, Jesus. And You will fill the gap, Lord. You will fill the void, Father. You will provide in full measure, greater measure than we could ever expect or understand or feel even willing to receive, Lord. You are a God of abundance, of abundant life. And Father, we pitch our tent in this place, Lord. We stake out this camp, Father. And we thank You, Lord, that as we camp in this place, You will extend our tent pegs, Lord. You will make this a place of constant dwelling for us, Lord. That every time that when we wake, Lord, we'll have our minds filled with these realities, Lord, these thoughts about who You are and whose we are, Lord. Every time we pray, we'll enter into prayer with an understanding, Lord, that we are Your sons and Your daughters, God, that we have right standing with You. Father, we'll not, when we stumble, Lord, we'll not shy away from You, God, but we'll race into the throne room and we'll climb up on Your lap and we'll say, Father, we need Your grace and we need Your mercy and we receive it now. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Jesus. We just receive from You right now, Lord. We receive from You, Father. Thank You, Lord. Father, I bind up every stronghold, Lord, every pattern of thinking that's been developed in our minds, Lord. We thank You for that divine power that the Apostle Paul spoke of, Lord, to tear down those ways of thinking, Lord. And Holy Spirit, that You would come now and You would rebuild right pathways of thinking, Lord, right structures of thinking about who You are, Lord, and who You are to us, God. 
And we thank You, Lord, that from this day forward, we are going to walk in greater measures of sonship, Lord, manifesting Your identity through us, Lord, through our lives as we yield to You, God, as we obey You, Lord, as we say yes to You every single day, Jesus. Thank You, Lord. Thank You, Lord. You are so good, God. You are a good, good Father and You are good to us, Lord. And Lord, this is to set up camp with You, God, is not to set up our camp in denial, Lord. We're not denying the broken parts, Lord. We're just making more, a bigger deal about Your holiness, Lord. So we thank You, Lord, that You see all things. But Lord, we wanna highlight Your glory in every situation, in every circumstance, Lord. Thank You, Jesus. We love You, Lord. We bless You, Lord. We just pray, Holy Spirit, would You seal up this work, Lord, that we wouldn't depart from this place, Lord, that would stay encamped around these truths, Lord, of who You are and who we are because of who You are, Lord. Thank You, Father. Amen. Amen. Bless You, family.